This is Fire and Ice. I am one of your hosts, Cameron Dalglish. My other host. I'm Eric Johnson. I'm the ice part. And I'm fire. <laughs> Pretty simple as that. Um, you, you, could, you can interpret that whatever way you want. You guys know Eric because he's on Too Many Men. We are right now, as of now, we're going to post this under the Too Many Men branch, courtesy to a very great man, Tony Pickenich. He's kind enough to let us post it under there for now. Shout out to Tony Pickenich. So this is kind of, I guess, our unofficial first episode because we've recorded two episodes in the past. Two pilots. Yeah, none of them are actually uploaded. And that's because one of them, the last time we recorded, it didn't actually record, which is my fault. I click the record button and we end the Zoom call. I look at my computer, nothing. So third time's the charm, I guess, if you want to say that. Yeah, let's let's roll with that. Why not? Anyway, we are both, uh, we're both diehard Mets fans and the Mets, Eric, I'm sure you agree. They have made me completely miserable in the past week. They stink. They're not good. So this episode is for us to air our frustrations about what well, I'm calling it a free fall. I don't know what you're going to call it or what anybody else is calling it, but I'm so, calling it a free fall. So this is, if you've ever seen the Seinfeld episode, uh, the Festivus, this is the airing of grievances. <laughs> this is where we just say everything oh, wrong yeah. with the team, what's going on right now. It is a collapse. I can call it a collapse because this team was at this point last week or last Saturday, four and a half games ahead of Philadelphia in the division. As of this recording, they are now two and a half games behind Philadelphia. To preface that, it is really hard to slide that much in a week. It's really hard to do unless you lose every single game, which basically the Mets have been doing. They've pretty much lost every single game. They've now lost seven of eight. I think it's nine of 11 if you want to extend it further than that. And they look completely lifeless. They can't hit. The pitching has now hit a little bit of a wall. The only thing that was keeping them afloat prior to the slide was their pitching. And now it's come back to earth a little bit. Can't get mad at them. They don't hit. At all. And they can't stay healthy. My biggest concern with this team the whole year has been its offense. And I know right now to say that it sounds like, oh, well, no, duh. Because look how they've lost these past seven, eight, nine games they've lost in this horrific stretch. But before that, the Mets were doing okay. They weren't perfect by any means. I wouldn't even call them a great team. My concern, and I've been saying it for two and a half, two months, is that they're not very great offensively. And we don't really have to like dissect it to prove that. If you simply just pull up ESPN, go look at the, the standings and the stats for each team. The Mets have been bottom five and run scored in baseball going back to like middle of May now. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Even maybe earlier than that. Bottom five. And to make it worse, it's really like bottom three. While they had some good things going for them, they were getting a lot of great pitching out of guys like Marcus Stroman, Taiwan Walker looked like to be a huge bargain because the Mets were the only team that signed or gave him an offer for that matter. Grabbed him off the scrap heap. He was throwing really well for them. They had some good stories like Tyler McGill coming up out of nowhere. He's still good. Yeah, for sure. But they were talking on the game Saturday. Four of his seven runs allowed this year have come in the fifth inning. And it's not like all that surprising because he's a rookie pitcher. And sometimes the young guys are going to struggle right around the fourth or fifth inning, which happens to be the third time they're going through the order of the other team. It seems like there's a new low here. It is because the Mets... This isn't just a few weeks of this, by the way. This goes back to Memorial Day. They have played, I don't have the exact numbers, but they've played at least five to seven to eight games below 500 
since Memorial Day. Consistently, whatever, however number of games they've played, this has not been a winning baseball team since the end of May. I was talking to you about this the other day on text. We were talking about how the most frustrating thing about this is you look around baseball, you look at all the good teams. Good teams, in my opinion, stay at least 10 games over 500 throughout the season. The Mets' best yes. seasons, if you don't include 2015, you don't include 2006, the horrific collapse in 2007, the other collapse in 2008. If you want to wipe those seasons away right there, going back to 2000, I'll put 2001 because they were in the World Series in 2000. But since 2001, that's a lot of seasons of baseball. The Mets' best seasons, they're struggling to get to 10 games over 500. Struggling. They were 10 games over 500 once this year is after they took the first three of a four-game set against the Cubs. They haven't been back since. And now they've slid so badly, they're only a game up and now two and a half games out. And the worst part about this is, you know, we've been talking about the 10 games over 500. I told you this, you know, you look at teams throughout our time watching baseball, the most dominant teams that we've seen, the Dodgers, the Giants, the Cubs, the Red Sox, the Tigers, the Astros, list goes on and on. They've consistently stayed 10 games above 500 during their primes for years. So, and it's consistently, you know, 10 games over 500. It's expected. The Mets, of course, toss up. This is so frustrating because I think like, almost every Met fan known to earth. We were all really excited when Steve Cohen bought this team back in October. They finalized a sale. I'm like, it's happening. The Wilpons are going to be gone because I can't think of a single Met fan who was okay with the Wilpons owning a team. The Wilpons were the habitual penny pinchers, if you will, never willing to go above and beyond to make this team as good as it can be. They'd spend, but they would spend as if this team competed. And I don't mean any disrespect whatsoever when I throw out these markets. No disrespect whatsoever. But the Wilpons spent as if this team played in like Milwaukee, Detroit. Milwaukee, who is a game away from advancing to the World Series three years ago, and a Milwaukee that is currently cruising. Doing pretty well for themselves right now. Cruising this season. Detroit, small market, made one World Series appearance and was one of the scariest teams to face in the early to mid-2010s. So like for a team that competes in New York City, Obviously, the direct comparisons are to what the Yankees do, and the Yankees are known as the big spenders, especially back in their glory days, if you will, because it's been a while since they've you know, had the glory that they're used to having. They'd go out, they'd spend, get all the big names, kind of like what the Dodgers have been doing, and that was always the Mets' biggest flaws because they, they had these owners that were not going to go above and beyond for a team that plays in New York City, the biggest media market in the world. So we were all really excited when Steve Cohen, who has a net worth of $15 billion, steps in and says, hey, I got the big pockets and pretty much made it known. I am going to go after the big ticket names in the market. I'm going to do what it takes to make this team not just a good team, but a World Series contender. He said it and himself. Not three, not three to five years down the line. This year, he was going to try. Although he really was looking, and I'm not trying to, you know, you know, dim, diminish the, uh, what am I going to, you know, but he said three to five years down the line, he wants to be a world series contender, but the change was supposed to start now. And I assume that meant at least a winning record. I think he even meant it as far as he hopes that in five years from now, the Mets will have won at least one world series. I think that's honestly I, what he meant when he said that. I want to, I, I wanted the Mets to be a playoff contender, at least in the playoffs. And yeah, Eric and I, I think, are both pretty rational when it comes to expectations. Yeah. 
there were Mets fans that were saying, oh, my God, we're going to go right to the World Series when Steve Cohen bought this team. No, 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 no. no. Pump the brakes. That wasn't us. You, you, wasn't can't us go, you can't go to the World Series. And I've, I've been saying this literally since the minute Cohen bought the team. You can't go to the World Series in the National League when you have the Dodgers in your, in your league. You, you can't. And I've always said to you, from, to get to the World Series, I consider is like point E in the alphabet. And the Mets were starting at point A. Mm-hmm. They had to, to get to point C, you have to get to point B first. And, and why am I bringing this up? Because the Mets haven't made the playoffs since 2016. So to get to the World Series, well, okay, well, let's make the playoffs first, which is why you and I are were, frustrated because at the very least, we were expecting were so this close. to be a playoff team. They were close in 2019. They made a run and they, they teased. They teased, but it just never ended up getting there. All of this, I look at DraftKings right now. The Mets have the six best odds to win the World Series. I with the Giants and ahead of the Red Sox, the Rays, and the Yankees. Oh, that's and the Blue Jays for that matter. Well, DraftKings needs to go up. They need some serious updating because that's clearly not accurate as of right now. The teams, the teams ahead of the Mets. The Mets are plus twelve hundred. At plus eleven hundred, tied is the Padres and Brewers. Then the White Sox, Astros, and Dodgers in that order. I'm stunned. So circling back to why we're this frustrated is because Steve Cohen did not waste much time showing you he's not a Wilpon because he made a huge trade to get Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco from the Cleveland Indians. And boom, right away, you're thinking, oh, my God, that's a splash the Wilpons never make. On top of what we thought was a pretty good looking roster coming into this year, we added Francisco Lindor then proceeded to give him a monstrous contract, which 10 years, I, 340 million, which at the time we loved it because it's like, hey, let's go. We not only what? have Lindor, was, we have him locked up for the next, next decade, and he's one of the best shortstops in all baseball. And I will still defend that no matter what. Y- you can't risk that, you know? No, because they literally got to literally the night before opening day, which is that was Lindor's self-proclaimed deadline. That if there was no deal before opening day, he was not going to negotiate during the season. He's going to go right to free agency. And things got a little interesting up until the 11th hour. Excuse me. Up until the 11th hour. It looked like it was not going to happen. It looked like both sides were playing a game of, you know, stalemate. But they found a middle ground, got the deal done. We were relieved. And then opening day, we're pumped. And why were we pumped? Because we had a pretty... We felt at least we had a pretty good-looking lineup. We got Pete Alonzo, Michael Conforto, who had a very good-looking season last year. And I understand it's easy to take a year like last year with a grain of salt. But even before that, Michael Conforto was a competent offensive player. Pretty good slugger. You know, he's hitting like 30 bombs a year, hitting 250, 260. It's not the worst thing in the world. Dominic Smith looked like he was making progress each year. J.D. Davis showed signs that he could be a very good hitter. Same with Jeff McNeil and then Lindor, obviously. So the Mets had a lot of what you thought looked like a lot of pop in this lineup coming into the season. And we said, okay, this is a team that should be able to hit. They should be able to score some runs. Our concern was the pitching. And it's funny because this season has been a complete 180. The pitching is what's kept them alive, if you will. The hitting has been their biggest liability. You know, it's it's weird because you look at the pitching and – the Mets have always had a good rotation, always, you know, dating back to, you know, 2015. The pitching's never worried me. The bullpen has, 
on numerous occasions, but I can't say starting pitching was really my main concern. My main concern was the bullpen. That was really it. And health. Those were the two biggies. And those were the two I was like, that's what's going to doom this team. And again, the bullpen been one of the best parts of the year. And I'm floored by that. The lineup, yeah, this team cannot a hit. Surprise. Very, very pleasant surprise. You know, a lot of people returning to form, but there is just this team for, for whatever reason cannot hit. They fired Chili Davis. They hired uh, Hugh Quattlebaum and it's gotten worse. They then proceeded to make up a fake hitting coach by the name of Donnie Stevenson, which like to me and Eric, and I'm sure to millions of Mets fans, that's not funny because this team stinks offensively. They've stunk all season. If they were top half of the league, I'm not even asking for like top five offense. If they could just be top half of the league, top 15. Okay. I can live with it. It's a nice little, you know, shtick, if you will. But when you're this bad, when you are bottom five and runs scored, this Donnie Stevenson stuff and all these jokes that are going around, like that's not funny for us. No. It's embarrassing, quite honestly, is what it is. It's, you know, okay, cool. It's, it's, fine. it's fine when you're in first, and you're in first by a comfortable margin, which, at the time, New York was. But now, it's August 8th. You're officially two and a half games out of first. I don't want to hear any goofy stuff. Focus on winning ball games. That's the priority. Make the playoffs. Then we'll talk. And, it, again, it's so frustrating because coming into this season – we thought if there was going to be any concern, it was going to be the starting rotation. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know what you're getting from Jacob DeGrom, point blank. You pretty much knew what you were getting from Carrasco, too. He's been pretty consistent throughout his whole career. The issue with Carrasco, though, was that he tore his hamstring in spring training. And at first we thought, okay, the Mets were telling you, we'll hope to get him back by the start of May. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they said, no, 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 sorry, mid-May. No, sorry, end of May. Nope, it's going to be middle June now. Oh, now you have to wait till after the all-star break. They kept discreetly pushing back his timeline as if we weren't going to notice. And so I was getting frustrated because I'm like, hold on a second now. I understand you don't want to jeopardize his health. I understand you want to be cautious. You don't want to push him too much. You don't want him to risk re-injuring it. But the way the Mets were telling you about these timelines for him, they literally were trying to slide it under the rug. Like we weren't going to notice. I'm like, okay, if he's going to be back later, please explain to us why that is. Because we weren't sure what we were going to get out of Marcus Stroman. Because Marcus Stroman didn't pitch at all last year because of COVID. He opted out. Taiwan Walker, you knew his stuff was okay. But the problem is he's pitched so little the past three years before this. So and we really weren't the, sure what you're going to get out of him. We're going to throw this in there. We do not blame Marcus Stroman at all for opting out last season. No, so no, no. Need, yeah, not at all. Get that. Not at all. Yeah, totally understood. Last year was as bizarre a season as it gets. I have no ill will towards anybody that opted out last year. But again, that, I'm just giving you like at least my point of view as a fan. I'm sure you would. I'm sure you agree. I think a lot of fans would agree knowing this team coming into the year. Our point of view is like, okay, we got Jacob DeGrom, but we weren't really sure what we were going to get aside from him. Strowman's been pretty great, although I should be careful. Greats uh, threw their own little to lose. He's been very solid this year. Very yeah, solid. Been, is how I yeah, mm-hmm, that's fair. I'd say that. Jacob DeGrom is great, obviously. Like, that's greatness to me. Strowman's been pretty solid, though, despite what the record might tell you right now. He's thrown the ball pretty well. Taiwan Walker was off to a great start and then has completely hit a brick wall these past few weeks. It's been as big a 180 as you're going to see. Since the All-Star break. 
the Mets had David Peterson in there. And David Peterson reminds me a lot of Steven Matz. What was our biggest frustration with Steven Matz was highly touted prospect. He'd have some games where, okay, that's the prospect we were told about. Other games completely looks lost. And that was kind of David Peterson. I'm not like that frustrated with David Peterson because he's a second year pitcher. So I can't expect him to have everything figured out this soon. But for what it was, he'd have some starts where, okay, you're going, okay, that'll work. And other starts where he's getting completely bombed. So Steven Matz this year is 9-6 and six with a 4.30 ERA and 99 strikeouts in Toronto. You can take that for what it's worth. Which is pretty much... That's standard Steven Matz. Yeah, that's pretty much has been the story of Steven Matz's career. The Mets, I think our biggest concern, at least my biggest concern coming into the season, was the rotation. And a little bit of the bullpen, but... Speaking of the bullpen, they've been a pleasant surprise. Yes. Edwin Diaz, we do, I think, have to take the numbers with a little bit of grain of salt because Edwin Diaz has a four ERA, but in safe situations, he's been mostly money. He's had a few hiccups, but other than that, night and day compared to the Diaz we saw in 2019 where you could not rely on him to save your life. He was blowing saves every other day, completely looked lost his first year in New York. So a couple of years later, it's like, okay, Boom, this is the guy we traded for. This is the Edwin Diaz we needed to be successful. And he should remain the closer. 100% should remain the closer. Absolutely. Jay Reese Familia, again, same exact story. I take the ERA with a little grain of salt because he's been pretty good this year. He's done his job for the most part. So you're thinking, okay, because Jay Reese Familia had looked completely lost the past couple of years. And that's a guy you need to be successful. So those are two very key pieces that have been performing well in the bullpen. Aaron Loop has been awesome. Who would have predicted that coming into the year, too? Right? He's been awesome. And the Mets have gotten a pretty good performance from Trevor May. I know he's had his, he's had his moments. Look, every reliever has their moments. But Trevor May has been pretty solid for the most part. He's been, you know, he's done his job. Eventually, got Seth Lugo back. Seth Lugo's looked okay. So the pitching has been a pleasant surprise this year. And if you, had told us, if you had told us coming into the season that you're going to get this out of your pitching, I'd have said, we're going to win this division because we should have a good enough offense to get by with pitching that you're telling me is going to do pretty solid. And dude, this offense isn't just bad. It's atrocious. It's unwatchable. It's been probably the worst Mets offense in a very, very, very long time. Because all those guys we mentioned at the beginning, we talked about Conforto. We talked about Smith. We talked about Davis. We even we talked about McNeil, and it's been a combination of guys missing a lot of time to injury, Conforto and McNeil, both at hamstrings, and complete underperformance from Dominic Smith, who's been completely underwhelming this year. And if you look at the numbers, you say, okay, well, he's sitting about 250, 11 home runs, 55 RBIs. That's not awful. It's not awful, except it feels like it's very spread out and few and far in between with him. You're not really getting a whole lot of clutch out of him, which is my biggest issue. Michael Conforto is as atrocious as any offensive player in baseball right now. He is miserable. It feels like he's an automatic out every time he's up there. And I've said this before, and I might as well say it here. Thank goodness the Mets didn't sign that extension before the season began because they would get ripped apart in the media for it completely eviscerated the Mets really did dodge a couple bullets they dodged a bullet with not extending Conforto they also dodged an enormous bullet by not signing Trevor Bauer and I I don't want to sound like the I told you so guy I didn't I did not want Bauer to begin with for reasons that we'll get into it another time but I was not on you know I wasn't a big fan of bringing in Trevor Bauer 
I'll just say for the record, dude, thank God they did not sign him with what's going on with and, them right now. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't know the exact situation. You know, we're not going to say anything that's not already been said. But again, that would have just been more headlines that this team does not need. Exactly. It would have been a major PR disaster, to put it simply, if Trevor Bauer was a Met right now. Who else we got in the lineup of failure? There's some positives. I do want to mention a few positives because this lineup is not all terrible. Brandon Nimmo is finally having a breakout season. Just to play a little devil's advocate, though, and it's frustrating because you're right. Nimmo has been one of the very few bright spots. He's been hitting 290. 290, and he gets on base. He's prototypical Brandon Nemo finds ways to get on base. He's the ideal leadoff hitter. He's got speed. He just, the man gets on base, but he too missed a lot of time with an yeah. injury. And I just, you cross your fingers. He can stay on the field because he's not on the field. You absolutely need him playing. He's too valuable with what he brings to the table. When he gets on base, sets the tone at the top of the lineup. At least you'd think he set the tone for the other hitters, but his work basically goes to waste with the way the team is hit. Trying to think, what else we got? We got the the names ending in I L L A R, V R and Pilar. Jonathan V R, Kevin Pilar, and I can't really throw them into the, like the heap of blame here because we knew what they meant to not sign them to be everyday contributors, at least major contributors. You know, V R, you figure is a nice depth piece. Same with Pilar, he gives you a good glove and center, and you'll take whatever you can get from him at the plate. And you know, V R. My biggest knock on VR is he drives you crazy on the base paths. That's about it. Because other than that, he's been fine. You know, he hits, gives you a good glove wherever you stick him. But the Mets were also without J.D. Davis for a while because we were told he suffered a hand bruise after getting hit by a pitch. And then it turns out the guy's out for two months. Yeah, I have no idea what that was about. No clue. And I don't want to like, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I know what you're you're thinking. You know, about. I don't want to condemn JD Davis for that because I, I bet you yeah. the Mets weren't telling the truth about his injury. Cause a bruised hand should never keep a player out two months. But point being, they could have used his bat and then he's come off the IL. I know he looked okay a little bit at first, but then he's been lost the past couple of weeks now. At least. I think it goes beyond that, maybe a few weeks. Just been completely lost at the plate. Jeff McNeil's finally looking like the old Jeff McNeil. But again, it's like it goes to waste because before that, he looks like he was broken by analytics. Completely not the Jeff McNeil we were used to seeing. The Jeff McNeil who can hit the ball from gap to gap, hit line drives, not swinging for home runs every time up. And for a large chunk of the season, when Jeff McNeil was playing, he was hitting ground balls, lazy fly balls, wasn't really making hard contact. We're thinking, oh my God, what has gotten into him? But he's turned it around. And Pete Alonso's Pete Alonso. You know what you're getting from Pete Alonso at this point. Mm -hmm. Big slugger, power hitter. He's not going to hit 300, but he'll give you a good 250, and you know that he's capable of hitting the ball out of the ballpark at any given moment. What about James McCann? You got him, too. That's right. The Mets paid James McCann over, and it's up for debate because the other big target was JT Real Muto in the winter. And a lot of people were saying, oh, Real Muto's, you got to go for Real Muto. At the time the Mets paid James McCann, I don't think they were willing to wait for Real Muto's market to develop. Am I saying his name? Is it Real Muto? Real Muto? AT Real, Real Muto. Muto, my bad. Mm-hmm. Just make sure we say last names correctly so we don't drive yeah. any listeners crazy with I, that. To but, be uh, fair, I've heard both. So yeah. that, what, when I go to Philly, that's how they pronounce it. On That's how the PA announcer pronounces it. So 
yeah, that's how I'm rolling with it. There's your answer then. The A announcer would know best. But anyway, the Mets bring in James McCann on a four-year deal. And James McCann, again, the numbers aren't dreadful, but it's kind of like Dominic Smith. I can't, I can't blame them, though, for bringing him in on a four-year deal. No, like, okay. and kind of like I was saying, like you look at his, his numbers, it's like, all right, it's not terrible, but it's kind of like Dominic Smith. It's everything's so few and far between where on paper it looks okay, but if you watch the team every day, it feels completely underwhelming watching him hit. You want a little bit more. You know, and, that's what it feels like. Right. And the biggest, biggest flaw of all when it comes to the offense, this team, you could argue it's multiple flaws because they lack every basic offensive fundamental and they leave a continent of men on base. Not just a little bit, not a state worth, not a country's worth. It feels like they leave a continent of men on base, which is why they are as dreadful as they are, which is why. When it comes to runs per game, they rank as low as they do because this team has zero fundamentals when it comes to their approach to the plate. Zero. It's constant swinging at bad pitches, not working out at bats, swinging way too early in the count, which goes hand in hand with not working out at bats. Too many guys are jumping at the first pitch, making weak contact. I understand a lot of hitters are aggressive in baseball where they do want to go after the first pitch. I'm okay with it if it works for you. For example, if Brandon Nimmo wants to go after the first pitch, I'm cool with it because Brandon Nimmo's hitting 290. But when Michael Conforto's batting 185 or whatever he's batting right now, he's one of the biggest culprits of it all. I can't stand him swinging at the first pitch. I'm like, dude, it's not working for you. Switch it up. You'd think you'd switch it up, right? But nope, it's the same thing over and over again. As of yesterday, this is not factoring in today's game where they got two hit by Zach Wheeler. The Mets left... 37 runners on in their prior four games. 37. Which includes a stretch where they lost three out of four against the Marlins, mm-hmm. which are those and four one, games. And in one game where they left 15 guys on base. The Miami Marlins, who, mind you, are dreadful of a baseball team. Comfortably in last. It's a great way to describe it. Nobody, although the way the Mets are playing, they could. But nobody's challenged them for last place in the division. And yet, because the Mets are so anemic offensively right now, it feels like any given team can beat them. Heck, the Pittsburgh Pirates took four games out of seven against them this year. And that's really where it started to go wrong, didn't it? It did, because I was at the doubleheader at City Field on July 10th. It was a, uh, The Mets ended up splitting the doubleheader with the Pirates. The day after, though, it felt like where everything went wrong, really. Mm-hmm. If you want to look at it from that sample, from that, uh, from that game, on the 11th until now, because the Mets were up 5 nothing, scored all their runs in the first inning, and then completely shut down after that. And the Pirates chipped away as the game went on, won the game 6-5. to five. It's like, well, that was frustrating. That feels like a game we could have had. They come out of the All-Star break, didn't hit the first game against the Pirates. The night after, they finally hit. They have 6 nothing lead in the eighth inning with six outs to get, and they lost. They completely imploded. It's like – That is incredible that they lost that game still haunts me to this day and it's going to haunt you for a while because the way the Mets are playing right now you look at those games it's like damn if we had got those few games they'd still be barely treading water in the east it's that's the frustrating part is because if you take away the games they probably should have had we're not having this discussion the Mets are comfortably first by that point yeah at least not right now we wouldn't be we might be from a week from now because we'll get inside a little bit but 
it's, it's frustrating because it feels like they not only gave away so many games this year, it goes back to our discussion where they could not get to 10 games over 500 since the middle of June is because they proceeded to lose games where it's like, damn, if they just hit a little bit better, they probably win a bunch of those games that it feels like they just let slip away from that. If they had just hit a little bit better, we're probably not as frustrated as we are right now. No, no, I'm bet. Let's get let's get to the, the 13 games coming up. Yes. This is where it's going to go horribly wrong. Maybe we're not having this conversation right now, at least yet, if they didn't lose those Pirates games. Well, why is that? Because the Mets have a two-week stretch coming up where they're only playing the L.A. Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. After this three-game set with the Nationals. Who just happen to be two of the best five teams in baseball right now. And we will be there on the 24th against the Giants. We will. I, I have low expectations, to say the least. I think I was texting you this the other day, dude. Like, I would, the way things are going right now, I will feel genuinely surprised if the game on the 24th is a meaningful game for the Mets that night. Because there's a decent chance they're out of it by then. Completely out of it. Eric mentioned this at the start of the podcast. Last Saturday night, the Mets walked off the Reds. It was a feel-good victory. They came from behind to win it. Javi Baez homered in his debut. We're all feeling good. I didn't even mention that the Mets traded for Javier Baez, who's hit two big home runs for the team. But other than that, he's been driving you crazy because he's striking out all the time. Or he's been hurt. He left today's game, and now we're, there's concern that he might be hurt, which is like, that's also the story of the Mets season. They have been horrible at managing injuries. Everybody's been hurt on this team. It's unreal. I mean, if you look at a lineup from May and a lineup from this week, it's completely different. No doubt. And last Saturday night, the Mets were ahead four and a half games of the Phillies after the conclusion of last Saturday's games. The Mets walked off against the Reds. The Phillies lost to the Pirates. And we're feeling good. We're thinking, all right, four and a half games. It could certainly be better, but it could certainly be way worse. It's not the worst thing in the world. That's a in comfortable a, lead. Four and, a, four and a half games, I would say comfortable lead. I would describe that too, and especially the way the East was looking at the time. People were saying, hey, Mets, the Phillies and Braves are begging you to take this division with the way they're playing. Go get them. And the, Bra- the Braves were playing 500 ball legitimately since the All-Star break. And they the Phillies wins and losses. And the Phillies before the deadline had one of the worst bullpens in baseball. They gave away games like you wouldn't believe it. Still time to do, but it's been better. And since last Saturday, when the Mets had a four and a half game lead, what are we, seven, eight days later? Eight days later. The Mets are now two and a half games behind the Phillies. Not two and a half games in front, behind. That's a difference of six games in the standings in a span of seven to eight days. Philly is on an eight game winning streak. The Mets have been falling apart. You took the words the right out of my mouth. And the way Atlanta's been playing, Mets could be in third by the time we're still having this conversation. And guys, it's really difficult to give up that much ground in that short amount of time in baseball. Unless what ends up happening is what Eric just said. One team gets really hot and goes on a big winning streak, and the other team goes on a major losing streak. The Mets are the team on the major losing streak. The Phillies are the team on the big winning streak. That's why 
things stand where they are right now. If the Mets had just played 500 baseball since last Saturday, 500 baseball, that's it. You don't have to win eight in a row. Just give us four and four. They'd probably still be at least two games up on the Phillies right now. But because this team cannot get out of its own way, they have completely seen their lead evaporate in what feels like the snap of two fingers. And it's like you just try and wake yourself up from the nightmare. You try and get yourself together and be like, oh, my God, what is going on right now? Because it's a free fall. It is an absolute free fall. I, I, yeah, that's, that's, that's all I can say. And by the way, I'm not putting a lot of blame on Rojas as manager. I think he's doing what he can, but it's, it's a whole, just, it's the PR and it's the outlook of everything, you know? And the Mets slide right now, as we mentioned before, includes having lost three out of four to the very lowly Miami Marlins. And then this weekend got swept in Philadelphia. And you mentioned Rojas. I do put some of it on him for this reason. You are the manager. Aaron Boone did something earlier in the season, and I absolutely loved it. And Yankee fans, believe me, they were picking their bones with Aaron Boone a lot before the Yankees went out and made some major additions at the deadline. With that said, I'm still not an Aaron Boone fan, but we'll get to that in another episode. And that's okay, because Rojas isn't the perfect X's and O's manager. Neither is Aaron Boone. But Aaron Boone at least did something early in the year that I loved. What did he do? The Yankees were playing miserably. They were underachieving. Fans were frustrated. So Aaron Boone closed up those clubhouse doors and he lit a fire under every single one of those guys in the locker room. He ripped into them. He let them hear it. And I am begging Luis Rojas to do that with this team right now because that's why you're hearing about all these moral victories after these games. The Mets are saying, oh, we battled. We fought. We made some good contact. We made some good swings. That doesn't cut it when you're losing this many baseball games. And Louis Rojas plays a very much a part of that because he stands up there after the, after the games and says, well, you know, the guys are trying. They're battling. Dude, mm. try what Boone did. Rip into them. Let them hear it because they deserve no. to be ripped into right now. They're not playing well. They're embarrassing themselves out there. We were talking about this too. Like – we took Terry Collins for granted. At least I did during the last year. I was a big fan of Terry. I love Terry. But like we were also talking team, about this the other night. This team with Terry would be like, I'm not saying it'd be a, a phenomenal ball club, but I think they'd still be in first place. Terry Collins did something. It's hard to believe it's been five years, but it's five years ago around this time of year. The Mets had been playing awful. And similar situation a team with expectations a team that expected to be competing for a playoff spot the Mets were on what looked like a colossal slide and Terry Collins sat up there and gave you one of the best press conference rants a Mets manager has ever given you you remember that game against the Diamondbacks Eric I think you were at that game believe it or not uh was it 2016 yes remember the Mets had lost it was like nine nothing it was a day game they got swept by the Diamondbacks who were terrible at the time I was at that game I can confirm I was there. And that was the day Terry got up and he's like, you know what? These are major league baseball players. They need to get back to what got them here. I don't, and I'm paraphrasing very much paraphrasing what he said, but if you're curious, just look up Terry Collins rant 2016 diamondbacks. You'll find it. You'll know exactly what I mean. It's not hard to find. 
It's one of the well-known videos out there when it comes to Met managers. Aside from Terry's all-time uh, meltdown over the Chase Utley incident. That was great. Which is another all-time classic. Another reason I love the man for that. But yeah, basically, we're bringing up Terry Collins' name because Terry Collins, again, was he the perfect manager when it came to X's and O's and decision-making? No. But he at least should be off the hook from any criticism considering the very most recent managers of Mickey Calloway and Louis Rojas because the two of them were the biggest players' friends there are. Terry Collins lit a fire on his teams when he knew when it was time to. He pushed their buttons. He'd rip into them. He held people accountable when things were going poorly. And Mickey Calloway never did that once. And so far, Louis Rojas has not done it whatsoever. And that's why we're frustrated because we know this team can be so much better. We know this team is playing so abysmally right now that somebody should be held accountable because this is unacceptable. This is, the, not- this is the other thing. This is the other thing you, you kind of touched on this. If this team was not projected to be as good as they were, we're not having this argument. Zero doubt about that whatsoever which is why you always have to take context into consideration with a team playing like this. The context was the Mets were expecting to be a a good team this year, a playoff team. If the Mets were a rebuilding team and had no expectations of winning anything this year, I'm not as frustrated about hearing about these moral victories after the game. I can live with that, but I don't want to hear it when you're sliding, just gave away a four and a half game lead in a span of a blink of an eye and telling us that all's okay. Don't panic. This team's on a free fall, and then they got to go play the Dodgers and Giants for like 13, 14 straight games. Two of the best teams in baseball. I'm not saying that the season's over, but I'm saying it's definitely not looking strong from here on out, especially mainly because of the stretch. That is the one thing that, for the people that aren't necessarily mailing it in yet, and we're not mailing it in yet either. No, but nope. this is, needs to be a wake-up call. If of they're out of, If they're out of it, if they're – Six games out by the end of the Dodgers uh, Giants stretch, I would say I'm waving the light flag on the season. I think I would too, because at that point, you have to be realistic about things. Yeah. You know, any baseball fan, you basically live and die with each game. You live on a day to day basis throughout the baseball season with your team because there's still a good chunk of games left. They still have, I think, 50 some odd games to go. By no means are we saying, that this season is finished and they have zero hope. We're just saying right now, the way they're playing, we feel very, very poorly about how things are going. We don't have a lot of confidence that this team is going to be able to right the ship all of a sudden and change every one of those major offensive flaws we were talking about and give you good enough reason to think that not only can they just string together a few wins, but play good enough baseball from here on out to win this division it's not over yet but again you you gotta you gotta be realistic here i also don't think that if they win the division i don't think they have a shot in the playoffs against the other national league teams which are milwaukee and the three nls powerhouses in la san diego and san francisco they lose to all four of them and think about this too i mean if there's anything we're punting on it's the chance of them making a wild card because there's basically almost no chance that's going to happen oh, right yeah. now. But that's for that's for Philly and Atlanta as well. That's not solely the Mets, right? Because we just, we just mentioned the Dodgers 
and Giants. San Francisco's the lead in the NL West by three and a half games. The Dodgers hold the first wild card. The Padres hold the second wild card. The Mets are seven at, they're seven games behind the San Diego Padres. So seven game deficit, it's not inconceivable, but with the way those three West teams, NL West teams have played this year, I would bet it's probably unlikely anybody beneath them is going to catch them. And you know who else they're behind too? They're behind Cincinnati. They are. So they have to jump Cincinnati. Bingo. You're not only having to catch the team that's holding that playoff spot, you have to jump other teams in the process of doing it. And right now, I literally have it open on my phone. The Mets are behind Cincinnati. And now the Atlanta Braves, who play in their own in the Mets division. Oh, they're officially behind Atlanta now? By half a game, yes. Yep. And you know who else they might be behind soon? St. Louis. St. Louis, yeah. St. Louis is only a game behind the Mets in the wild card. You have to jump all those teams. There's no shot. There's no shot. It just makes it a lot more difficult when you have to jump other teams. You're not only having to rely on you playing well. You have to rely on those teams to lose a lot of games to make up that much ground to get into the playoffs if you're not winning your division. And you can win the division. You can't get a wild card. That's probably not happening. And listen, while the Phillies do have one of the easiest schedules left in baseball, they're playing the Dodgers this coming week before the Mets get the Dodgers. The Mets are getting the lowly Washington Nationals who basically sold off every man known to earth besides from Juan Soto at the trade deadline. So if there was ever a time, you would have thought it was coming into this series, if there was ever a time where the Mets needed a wake-up call and to get their act together, it's starting Tuesday night. And you and I will be at that game at City Field against the Nationals. Which is a game they should win. Paolo Espino versus Carlos Carrasco. They should win this game. A game they should win, a series they should win. I would like at least two out of three, which at is least not asking much. Not asking much. A couple of years ago, yeah, it's asking a lot against Washington. This year, after they sold everything at the deadline, no. Here's another thing, too. For as poorly as the Mets have played recently, losing 9 out of 11, they're only a game above 500 as we speak. You would think that 500 baseball for the rest of the season is a major improvement from losing 9 out of 11 and playing, you know, losing 8 out of every 10 games. It's an improvement, but it's not going to be good enough. They're going to have to play really solid winning baseball from here on out if they want to win this division. And right now, the way this team has performed the first 110 games this year, I just don't have a lot of confidence. They're going to be able to make that big of a leap in that short amount of time. They're not going to be able to. And so what's going to have to happen, my friend? Well, we could very well find ourselves having to play the game that we like to call scoreboard watching. As in, we're going to be watching the scores of the Phillies games, the Braves games. We're going to have to hope that whoever they play helps us out a little bit, which you don't want to have to do that because good teams don't, the good teams don't do that. Good teams take care of their own business. But if the Mets want to make a run at winning this division, they're probably going to have to play some scoreboard washing at some point. Yeah, exactly. So let's assume that things don't drastically change from here on out and the Mets either barely win the East by the skin of their teeth, or they don't win the division at all, miss the playoffs outright. Either scenario, 
we know for a fact this team has to get a lot better next year if they actually want to be that World Series contender that Steve Cohen touted them as in this three- to five-year window. So what would you do to fix them come this offseason? If you're playing GM, what are you doing? So how would I fix the Mets if I'm Zach Scott? First things first, I sign Chris Bryant. I do. I think you need a little bit of help at third base. We mentioned the outfield. You can trade J.D. Davis, and you could trade Jeff McNeil, I think. Um, Because here's the thing. Your starting infield is going to look like Pete Alonso, Baez, Lindor, and Bryant at that point. Oh, yeah, with Robbie Cano coming off the bench as well. Once you get some outfield help, you're pretty much set, I think. Maybe another piece or two. You re-sign Marcus Stroman. You 100% re-sign Marcus Stroman. You give Syndergaard the qualifying offer, and you re-sign Familia. And maybe a couple, maybe like minor pieces, but I think those are your big moves. What about you? I'm very much with you for the most part. I mean, we know for a fact that if this team ever wants to compete for a playoff spot or compete for a World Series, they cannot do it with an offense this dreadful. So they're going to have to make some major tweaks. They definitely got to push to re-sign Baez, and I say that because they traded a pretty top prospect to get him here. Mm-hmm. And I do was... think, yeah, let me – sorry to interrupt, but I do no, think he resigns. I assume he does because he did say he wants to play with Lindor and he wants to play with Diaz. So that leads me to believe he's going to sign here long-term. And I also don't feel like the Mets are going to give up a top prospect just to get a rental here. You have to figure that, okay, if they're trading a prospect like Pete Crow Armstrong, if they're trading a kid that's that highly regarded in their organization, for Baez, who right now is a rental, you think they're doing so with the idea of wanting to extend them in mind, that they want to keep him around past this year. Because I was going to say, that's a Wilpon move. That's something the Wilpons were doing. No doubt about it. And – They also probably had to know that Baez wasn't going to put them over the top this year, the way they're playing offensively. It's a, it definitely helps. It definitely helps. It definitely helps make you a little bit better at least, but it's not like they were a Javier Baez away from making a run at the world series. They weren't, they definitely needed more help. They still pursued Baez to get some help. So I'm with you. You definitely got to bring Baez back and with, you consider all the factors of what they went through to get him. And obviously the friendship factor with Lindor, Edwin Diaz. I'm with you too. I think you got to shop either Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, maybe both of them to get legitimate outfield help. I want Dominic Smith to be successful, but his bat is not cutting it right now because he's playing out of position in left field. And we don't necessarily know if the NL is going to get the DH next year. Because if the NL had the DH, the perfect solution is Pete Alonso's your DH and Dominic Smith's plays as natural position at first base but because there's no dh pete alonzo can only play first base he's just a big guy it's almost science it's pretty much science he's not gonna be able to play any other position and be able to hold up with there with you know his body so because of that dominic smith has to play left field which he's i don't know i think he's a little bit below average and my stance is if you're gonna play a guy out of position then his bat needs to be making up for his bat needs to be hitting well enough where you can live with whatever defensive deficiencies he might have. And right now 
I might look to move him as well. I don't know what his trade value would be, but if we're going to assume the NL doesn't have the DH next year, which I think is the right mindset because we can't assume it until it actually happens. They need legitimate outfield help in the sense of a guy that can not only put the bat on the ball, but also play the position <laughs> adequately. And I'm with you too. I would definitely extend Stroman. He's pitched solid. I like the competitive fire he brings. And then, yeah, if you can do that, bring back a few, you know, other supporting cast members and from the bullpen and then make a few minor tweaks here and there. I think you definitely have at least a much better feeling going into next year. We appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you guys listening us vent off our frustrations. This was fire and ice. Our first episode, the pain and misery of being a Mets fan right now. I just hope and pray they can turn their season around, but uh, we literally have to take it a day at a time. So we appreciate you guys listening, Eric, big pleasure having you do this with me. Yeah, no problemo. And uh, we'll definitely hope to make some more episodes for you guys. For now, we're hoping to get them under the Too Many Men branch. And then we'll literally go from there. We'll see if eventually we might want to branch into our own little uh, profile or page, whatever you want to call it. But for now, keep an eye out for some episodes under the Too Many Men family. Again, Tony, big shout out for helping us do this. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, Eric, man, it was a pleasure. And we'll definitely uh, look forward to getting on the next episode whenever we do. Sounds good. We'll see y'all later. You guys take it easy.